Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. From Bravity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolfe. And this is Guilt. On the last episode of Guilt, who killed Jordan Vidori? He mentioned Gareth Carey. Not yet, no. Guy who had a ponytail, he'd come down from Auckland. No. And apparently he got mixed up with the triads in Auckland and Jordan rescued him, but got him down to Pyra and he worked for Jordan and I think he stayed there with him for a while until he got a flat. And um, Jordan had given him the sack, booted him out, and strangely enough, on the night of the murder, he was working. So it was like, really, what? You can you can make a million assumptions just by looking at someone, and you can make a million wrong assumptions too. Of course. Um, so I can't I can't really say anything just on the look of the man. Yeah. Um, uh, Rusty was always a bit rough around the edges, and so were mates. Um, but some of them, you know, I know a lot of people that are rough around the edges, but they got good hearts, you know. Thanks again for your support of episode two. I've had so much fantastic feedback. And we broke our download record from episode one in just a few hours, so please keep spreading the word. Sharing the podcast on social media, or even just telling a couple friends, makes a huge difference in helping this podcast rise up the charts, and as a result, getting Jordan's story out there. And of course, don't forget, if you like the podcast, give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Just a warning. This episode of Guilt contains explicit content and adult themes, as well as some derogatory language. Listener discretion is advised. Last episode, I focused on a few of the key theories surrounding Jordan's case, and then we started trying to accurately create a timeline of the events of the morning of Jordan's death. Let's just quickly recap what we know. Jordan was working in his pizza store Mykonos late on the night of Sunday, June 17, 2012. The last person to see him alive was someone making a bakery delivery at 10.30pm that night. Jordan was then active on his computer, browsing TradeMe until approximately 1.30am the following morning. Jordan's body was found at approximately 4am. The police were contacted at 6am. This is the known timeline as presented by police. In episode 2, I started to confirm this timeline by initially speaking to Glenn Rogers, who was a funeral director at the funeral home directly across the road from where Jordan was killed. Police had stated that at least two persons in the funeral home heard what sounded like a gunshot at approximately 2am. Glenn confirmed that the person living in the funeral home at the time was Stephen Roberts. I haven't as yet been able to track down Stephen Roberts, but Glenn recalled that from what he could remember, Stephen wasn't home that night. This would have meant anyone being home to have heard the gunshot simply wasn't possible. However, after episode 2 aired, Glenn called me. While listening to the podcast, a memory had been triggered that would provide some clarity on the events of that night. I'm not really answering a question, but um, I did have a wee bit of a, a think while I was listening to two, to you know, part two. Yeah. Um, yes, Stephen was home that night. I remember I sent you a text and I said he was either out for dinner with friends or he had friends visiting. Yeah. 
he did have friends visiting. They were sitting in the front room and they were drinking wine until late. I'm not sure if it was until two o'clock, but yes, he did hear a noise because I remember that. But when I said he was out, when I turned up to pick up Jordan, he wasn't there. He'd gone out that morning. Uh, he right, had got, yeah. told me about what was going on. Uh, and he had visitors, and so they ended up going out and going away for the day. But yes, he was there that night, and yes, he did hear something, because yeah. I remember him saying, it sounded like a car backfiring. Memory is an imperfect thing. That is what makes cold cases like this so tricky to navigate. But as we all know, sometimes a single sound, smell, or moment can trigger a clear recollection of an event. While I still haven't been able to find Stephen Roberts, I'm confident that I can now say Stephen did hear something that morning. At this point, I still don't have a specific time, so until I can track Stephen down, I'll use the police's stated time of 2am. Now I want to move on to possibly the most important sequence of the events of this case. The time Jordan's body was first found at approximately 4am, and the time it was reported to police at 6am. This two-hour time delay is clearly very odd, and needs to be explained. At this stage, we have two known parties, Linda Hunter, Jordan's neighbour, the person who found Jordan's body, and then Dick, her ex-partner and former detective who called the police. If you'll recall in episode one, we spoke to Annie Harris, Dick and Linda's former neighbour. She made it clear that from an early point in the police investigation, they were looking very closely at Linda and Dick, likely due to this difficult to understand two-hour time delay. What I didn't like was the police actually coming and giving me a questionnaire which had about 52 questions in it and it was all about my neighbours. It was nothing. Uh, they didn't seem to be looking at any other angle. You know, there were lots of other angles. Lots of other angles and I, I just sort of thought there was a little bit of finger pointing. Sadly, Dick passed away after a battle with cancer during COVID lockdown in 2020. So I won't be able to speak to him. But I wanted to find someone who knew him well and could perhaps give me some insight into what kind of man Dick was. Quinn Engineering is a well-established, family-owned business which designs and manufactures a range of machinery for commercial purposes based in Paidoa. This was Dick's last job prior to his death. Alex Quinn owns and manages the business. I asked him about Dick's character and what he recalls of that time. I don't know if you knew that uh, Dick's passed away. Yeah, I did um, know that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, passed away during the lockdown last year from memory, so we gave him a good send-off anyway. Yeah. Um, in all honesty, Richard was such a, uh, a straight-up, honourable, you know, a, you wouldn't call him a gentleman ever because sometimes you've got um, guys that are old-fashioned and they're just true gentlemen. He wasn't a gentleman, but he was honest, true, straight-up, a uh, bit of a good storyteller. And uh, uh, an absolute pleasure to have the workforce with us and was treated more as a, as a mate than an employee anyway because that's how he treated the company. So, you know, when, when that incident happened way back then, um, he came into work and, and explained fully what had happened. And then that uh, really took its toll on his life quite substantially because he was really worried because he'd been a, a detective, a police detective. Yeah. And, uh, you know, his concerns a wee bit is, boy, they've got to find someone. And at the moment it looks like they're, they're finding him because they can't find anyone else. But, uh, look, Richard was not that sort of person anyway. And if he had, he would be the first to put his hand up to say, yep, I did it and this is why I did it. During this conversation... Alex had informed me that Dick's full name was in fact Richard Kemp. I asked how long he'd worked for them. Oh, uh, been nigh on, well, between 10 and 20 years anyway. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he not, went straight out of, the, short out of the police force and then straight to you? Uh, well, he'd had uh, through his history because he was quite, quite, a, quite an old guy when he came to work for us, but an exceptionally fit guy. Um, he'd been a, oh, let me try and think what the term was. Um, he had a miner's license and uh, he'd been a detective. He was a, a, a blacksmith by trade from memory. Um, and I'm not sure if he came direct from the police force to us or if he had another role. But for us, he ended up as being one of our men on the road. So he would travel New Zealand installing lifts and houses um, and, and absolutely no issue. He, he made friends with everyone across the country. 
and and they absolutely loved him as a character and as a person. Yeah. And he, uh, um, after he was getting too old for doing the lifting role, he came into the office and he was in fact my lift manager for three or four years. So and and then we we put him in as two IC when he was getting a bit older again. So you know, an intelligent intelligent bloke, trustworthy to the end, honest, reliable, great mate. And um, how old when you say sort of older? How old yep. when was he when he was working for you? Uh, well, he probably was. Uh, I doubt that he would. He would have been something around late fifties, early sixties, perhaps. And then went right through to his 70s. I've confirmed through obituary records that Richard was 75 when he died, April 13th, 2020. This means Richard was 65 at the time of Jordan's murder. I asked Alex if Richard ever spoke of that morning. Uh, no, only only very roundly because um, he said, look, I don't want to get you guys involved. Basically, um, he had a call from his... Uh, um, ex-partner or partner, I'm not sure what, what status she was at that time. Um, hey, look, there's been something gone down here. Can you come in? Uh, he went in, and uh, um, I'm not sure if he didn't phone the police even um, mm. on seeing what had occurred in there. Uh, so from that point, the uh, the company vehicle, well, in fact, the company vehicle, his laptop, uh, everything he needed to work, uh, that was then um, held aside. And and he basically said, you know, that was it. I went in, secured the site. Uh, he still spoke a wee bit in, in police terms, you know. Yeah. You know, made sure I secured the site. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then he really got quite a surprise. Well, he didn't get a surprise about being questioned and everything in that line because he knew, of course, he would. Um, but he was surprised that I don't think he ever got his boots back. That sort of crazy thing. Yeah. So he knew till his death that, hey, that case hasn't closed yet. Mm. And so I, I think it always weighed on his mind. I asked Alex if he recalls the police applying pressure on Richard, and he said that every once in a while, Richard would mention that the police were calling him in again for questioning. So it's clear that the police kept this line of investigation open for an extended period of time. Whether they still consider Richard a suspect today is unknown. Only the police would be able to answer that. Rumours have floated around the town that Dick may have been involved in drugs, and somehow Jordan's death could have been the result of a drug deal gone bad type scenario. No, he, he look, if he was involved in drugs, I suppose you could say that there was a wee bit of the hippie in him. You know, he had a, an earring, he had a ponytail. Um, he was an exceptionally fit person for his age. Uh, he he lived on, no, not lived on, um, but colloidal silver was his rescue remedy. Um, and so, you know, if he if he did drugs, and I have no doubt that he smoked a bit of pot or something. Um, but no, no, he he, although he didn't uh, abuse in in such a way, I wouldn't have been at all surprised if he if he had a bit of a smoke. Well, let me say, I would be exceptionally surprised um, if it was because. He was a, a good mentor for the young fellas. He was very much a company man. He he saw right from wrong. Um, he had seen the dirty side of life with his policing career. Um, but I'm, I'm sure I would have seen something if I felt that he was a guy that was going to slip down the wrong side of the, the railway tracks. Personally, I found it frustrating, and to be perfectly honest, annoying, the fact that no matter what theory a person might be presenting, it always somehow revolves around drugs, and in particular, pee or methamphetamine. And don't get me wrong, in New Zealand and throughout the world, meth has become endemic in our communities, destroying lives wherever it touches, but the mere mention of it in association with a person's name can seriously tarnish a person's reputation. So to be honest, it pisses me off when people throw it around so loosely with absolutely zero evidence. But as you'll know, part of the purpose behind this podcast was to not only get to the truth behind Jordan's murder, but also to remove the rumour and speculation. So as a result, I do need to address it. I ask the question not because I believe it's true, but because I need to. And while I can never say with 100% certainty, in the case of Richard Kemp, I've found no evidence that he was involved in any hard drugs. 
and I'm satisfied as such unless someone were to come forward with direct evidence. However, this is not to say, at this stage, I can definitively say Richard wasn't involved in Jordan's murder. Alex and I keep chatting, and he tells me an interesting anecdote about a spider, and then we move on to the topic of loyalty. Uh, absolutely love, you know, the little things like spiders, and I remember one day <laughs> being in the company vehicle and the spider shot across and I, I got it, and he said, I hope you didn't do what I just think you did. You know, that, that was a very, very bad thing for me to do. In terms of, do you think he'd be the kind of, he's quite a loyal sort of person, or do you think if... No, if, no ex- exceptionally loyal. Yeah, so I mean, if if something were to have, say, hypothetically gone down on that morning, he's yep. gotten a phone call, do you think he's the kind of person who might say, look, okay, I'll help cover this up for you? I mean... I would be, I would be surprised at that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying he wouldn't. Now, I'm just trying to picture that instance happening. And uh, I would say he would be stretching to get the truth. He would be trying to get the truth. And he might not get it. Mm. His loyalty. That's a, that's a very good question. And it's one yeah. I sort of can't answer straight away. As Richard was a former detective, If there was someone who was going to be able to possibly manipulate a scene or circumstance in order to cover for someone, then his knowledge of police procedure would be vital. Could the two-hour time delay have been used to hide evidence? There's two things there that with chatting to you, you've raised two two areas of which I'm quite dark about, or dark as an unknown. One is those time delays, and Richard, as I've said, uh, absolutely loyal. So if he's going to be that loyal to me, Every likelihood he would be that loyal to uh, Linda as well, or anyone else that was a mate. You never say never, but I would find it unbelievable that he would have been involved in the actual murder. Would he protect someone after that? My natural answer would be no, but my loyalty answer would be he might not dob them in. But as far as a character reference, like you said, Richard, everything's positive there, so... Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, he was devastated, gutted, concerned. Um, if I didn't mention earlier, you know, one of his concerns or one, and we didn't talk about it a lot, but one time he said to me, Alec, I know how these fellas work. They're trying to stitch me on this. They're trying to stitch me. Hmm. I know. I've been there. We've, we've got to get someone, and they haven't got anyone. They're trying to get it on me. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm sure that weighed with him until he died, to be honest. I asked Alex if he had met Linda, and if so, what he remembers of her. She's a free spirit as well, and I suspect that's why they got on so well. Um, and, and yeah, extraordinary relationship, but didn't – I met her three or four or five times only, probably. Yeah. Um, have no doubt that she had deep feeling for him, um, and that the memorial that we held at the Quinn factory um, – you know, she had beautiful photograph and, and was certainly very emotional on the day. So I have no doubt. They, they just sort of uh, probably loved each other but couldn't live with each other. I went into this conversation with very little idea of who Dick was. I didn't even know his full name. But by the time I hung up the phone, I felt I was that much closer to knowing the kind of man Richard was. And he didn't sound like a cold-blooded murderer. But could he be a loyal friend? One thing is certain. I need to clarify the timeline with Linda to really understand how the events on. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Folded. When I was first given Linda's number, I knew how important my conversation with her might be so I wanted to make sure I was fully prepared. It was just over a week before I finally picked up the phone and made the call. My first couple attempts were met with an answering machine and no immediate response. Just when I was thinking I might have hit a dead end, my phone rang. Hello, Ryan speaking. Hello, Ryan. Is it Brian? Ryan. Ryan Ryan. Yeah, um, I've got a missed phone call. Yes, yes. Um, my name's Linda Hunter. Linda Hunter, the person who found Jordan's body and Richard's ex-partner. She potentially holds the key to the timeline and possibly the truth about what happened to Jordan. I'm going to let a lot of this interview run verbatim because I want it to be unedited so you can get a real feeling for Linda's reactions and responses to my questions. Pay attention because this could be very important. Yes, yes, I, I was trying to get hold of you, Linda. Um, yes, so it's going to be a little bit random, um, but I managed to, I got your number off a, off a person in, in Pyro. Um, I'm making a podcast about the murder of Jordan Vidori. Oh, yeah. And um, I sort of run into your name, obviously, because you were the person that found him and you knew Jordan quite well. Um, well, I did. Yeah, I didn't have much to do with my neighbours. We kept a low profile and I just said, hi, pizza man. I didn't even remember his name. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh. we only just... He used, just used my carport in behind and now and again I used to just get a free pizza off him because I didn't like pizza, but that was the deal. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, would you have time at the moment to, to um, have a chat about it or is it another time better? Ah. Uh, well, I don't know. I'll sort of put it in the background now and trying to move forward oh. with my life. At this point, I feel the conversation could go south quickly. I can sense Linda probably doesn't want to talk about it, but the door is slightly ajar. I go on to explain how important her part of the story is and the fact I'm just trying to clear up the rumour and misinformation. We make some small talk about her leaving Paidoa last year and purchasing her new place before I tentatively ask again. I just want to wonder if I can ask a couple of questions about that morning, um, if that's okay. Yeah, if I can remember back, because yeah. I, was, I was terrible on the day. I was just in shock with the whole thing, and I just went numb. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I understand. Um, walk me through that morning when you, because you came back at early hours of the morning. I guess you must have been out or? No, well, we're planning to go out the night before to, yeah, to go and see my son, but that didn't happen. So I stayed in the flat at, out the back of the shop, and it's soundproof because I can't even hear the main road. It's so quiet. It's like there's no sh- no cars, you know. Yeah. So. And and then so how? Because I know where the back of your flat is, and Jordan's body was found. Well, you found it round by the gate. Um, how did you end up out there in the morning? At, it sort of fall. Oh, because I woke up early and decided I'm going to take some washing out to my ex-husband's place, okay. and that's and and it was well I couldn't really see who it was. I just thought, well, my cousin was stayed with me that night, and um, well he he come in and took me for a drive in his V8. And he stayed at my place that night because we weren't taking the TV to my son's place with the, my ex-husband. Yep. And um, he was the one that told me. He said he saw. He said he's because he was leaving for work at four thirty or something in the morning. He worked in Kopu Timber Mill, and he's the one that turned around. He saw. 
I was at the front and I thought, I haven't, you know, I went out to wave goodbye as he went past. And um, and I saw him park down the road and he was didn't know whether he was going to ring the cops or what, but he did a U-turn and come over and said to me, there's a, there's a body at the gate. And I'm going, hey, what are you talking about? It's probably just a drunk Mary, that's all I said. <laughs> you know, yeah. falling yeah. over or whatever. And he said, nah, nah. And, and I said, have you told the police? And he said, no, no. And I said, what? So you're leaving me to do it? So he left me in a situation where I thought, shit, should I go out and have a look? And I thought, oh, I don't want to go out there. What if, this, what if it, it is, you know, a body? And who else is out there? Yeah. So did when you... I did go... Hmm? Oh, no, sorry. I was just going to say, when you would lead the store, would you normally go out the front as opposed to out the back? Just to refresh your memory, Jordan's and Linda's stores both had flats attached and could be accessed via a rear service entrance. This is the area where Jordan was murdered, and a front entrance out onto the main road. It was important for me to understand which entrance Linda or someone staying with her would use, because if the back entrance was used to exit that morning, Linda's cousin would have literally had to walk right past Jordan's body. There would have been no doubt as to what he would have seen. Um, unless I'm going in my car, I go out the back. Yeah. But I go out the front usually to just go over to the supermarket or whatever. So that morning yeah. you went, so your cousin, he went out the back to get his car. Yeah, well, he had his car parked around the back. Yeah. And yeah, and we yeah. saw Jordan that afternoon because he was sorting out rubbish in his backyard. And my cousin was looking at a leak on my roof and said he could have a go at fixing it. And, and I just yelled out, G'day, pizza man, this is my cousin. And he just waved. He was busy here at his gate shut, actually, and behind his property. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're, so then that morning, so you go to do the laundry or whatever, and so your cousin yeah, goes out Yeah, so I woke back. up early because I was, you know, sitting there thinking, what the hell, shall I go out there or what? So that's why I was in shock and sort of stayed up. And then I thought, shit. So I rang Dick. I thought I'd go out and do some washing and then I and then when I went out there that's when I rang my ex-husband and said oh I was coming out to your place but there's there's a there's a body at the gate and he said what and I said well there's a body at the gate I didn't tell him that my cousin stayed because he you know we only just separated blah blah yeah and um and he said, well, you, he said, have you rang the cops? And I said, no. And he said, I'll ring the cops. I'll ring the ambulance. You just go back inside and don't go near it. Because being an XD, I suppose he's thinking, oh, I'll upset any evidence or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then- so I waited inside and then I heard the ambulance and I went out to have a look and there, and um, they said it was Jordan or something. And I said, oh. I was running over to the pizza man's place because his doors were all open and his lights were all on, yelling out, pizza man, pizza man, there's a, there's a, um, a body at the gate. Yeah. And no answer. So I just went and sat in my flat and thought, oh, shit, what do I do now? Just sit and wait. So Dick didn't come and see you in the flat before he, you just sort of heard the ambulance come eventually? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see uh, Richard until later on. How long? I, do you, how long I do you reckon it was from when? Hmm? How long do you reckon it was from when you talked to to Richard to when you reckon the ambulance showed up? Uh, the ambulance probably took only what five ten minutes. I can't remember. I'm trying to remember back because a lot of that caused a lot of trauma because I was sort of in shock. And I had TV crew wanting to talk to me, and I just didn't want to talk. And then you hear all these different stories, and you just, you just, you know, it's like water off a duck's back. It's like Richard said, lucky I had the two dogs at his place, and I had my little old Pomeranian with me. But if I had my younger dogs, they would have been out there barking because I, if I hear anything, I'm usually out there. And that's what that's what Richard said to me. He said, "You were lucky you didn't hear anything because I know you. You would have been out there and to see what's happening. If I had heard Jordan or screaming or yelling or anything, and he said, and you would have been a witness, and they would have pinged you too. 
I said, oh, well, I never think of things like that. You yeah. just you just go and deal to the problem, you know, go out there and see what's happening. One of the most important pieces of information Linda holds is the timeline of phone calls that morning. I asked her why it was that she called Dick at approximately 4.30am, but then didn't call police until 6. No, I, I, rang, I think I rang Richard about 6 in the morning. Oh, you think you called him about 6? Half past four is when my cousin told me about it, and I wasn't going to go out there. It's dark. Oh right. Oh, so 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 he tells you at half past four, and then so then you think you and he was a coward, and that's what Dick said to me. Your cousin shouldn't have left you in that situation. He should have rang the cops right there and then, and sorted it. You know, he's left you in a, a vulnerable situation where you're sitting there wondering what the hell's happening and what should I do. Yeah. So basically, so you didn't actually see the body at that point. You were just told about it. Yes. At 4.30-ish. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so then, but then, so you said you called Dick at about six. Yeah. So what? why, did you, why did you wait that long between when your cousin told you? Because I was sitting there thinking, well, what should I do? Should, who should I ring? Or... Um, Shall I go out and have a look? No, I don't want to go out there just in case anyone else is out there. Yeah. Is there any reason why you didn't just think to call 111 straight away? Uh, no, I just went. And a num because I, you know, like I've just separated from my husband and I had my cousin there, which I haven't known as a cousin, we, you know. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I see. And, yeah. And, yeah. And we quite liked each other, but nothing happened. But... So I sort of felt guilty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I said to my girlfriend when I was going down to the police, I said, oh, shit, I better tell them that, that Barry stayed with me. And she said to me, oh, no, no, don't tell them that, don't tell them that. And that's when I lied to the police. Where I never lie, I always speak the truth or don't speak at all. And because of the guilt and blah, 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 I just never, I, I just lied and, you know, didn't say that he'd stayed the night. At this point in the conversation, my mind was racing. Who is this cousin Barry that apparently found Jordan's body? I've never heard this piece of information before. The first thought that jumps in my head is whether this is known to police. If this is completely new evidence, then this could break the case wide open. Yeah, because so did you have you ever told the police at all that Barry was actually the one that found Jordan? Um, well, they would have known. I think so. I think in the end. Oh, in the end, that in the end, it did sort of come out because I've never seen his name come up anywhere. Yeah, in the end, that would have come out. Yeah. Um. But my normal self would have said something in the first place, you know. Yeah, so it was just because of that sort of awkward situation is why sort of there was a... Yes, and I was trying to explain to the cops and I thought they looked at me as a dirty girl or whatever and, yeah, I just felt so horrible. Yeah. And, you know, like 10 hours, like they they told me to be there at 3, I don't know if it was 10 or 8 hours, 3 o'clock I had to be at the police station, this is one day at work, and then I was there till about 10 o'clock at night and they were just interrogating me because I'd lied to them that they gave me such a hard time. Oh, about, you'd lied about Barry? Yeah. 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 I suppose from their point of view, I guess it wouldn't look good. Yes. But yeah. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, I can understand that. I asked Linda what Richard's reaction was when he eventually found out that Barry had been the one to find the body. And he said to me, well, if I ever see him, he said, I'm, I'm going to deal to him because he should never have left you in that situation. He should have reported it instead of being a coward. Yeah. I mean, you and think, I said, yeah. Yeah, and I said, yeah, you, when I think of it, he's, what, he's 55, he should know better. He probably didn't if know I hadn't gone to the front door of the shop to see him go past and wave goodbye to him, um, he probably would have had to say something or he wouldn't have said anything at all and someone else might have found Jordan at the gates 
and then they'd still be wanting to know who was there, blah, 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 so they'd still find out that Barry was there. I asked Linda if she has any knowledge of Jordan's freezers being robbed and if she'd had any issues with burglary. In terms of sort of the people that would come and go out, did you know much about um, Jordan's freezers being robbed or had you guys ever had problems of people breaking into the stores or the back of your houses or anything there? No, never had anything like that. I didn't even know that his refrigerator got broken into until that was brought up. Yeah. Because I kept to myself, you know. I've always sort of just me and my animals and I do my art and did my shop and, and I didn't have a very good upbringing as a child. So, yeah. Oh, well, I had a violent dad and booze and all sorts of hidings and all sorts going on in my household. Oh, shit. It's like, like living once for warriors, and that's how I felt when I was at the police station. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, but they don't know all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in terms of, I just have to ask, you know, like your friends and those kind of people, did you sort of hang out with any kind of rough characters that could have come to see you or something like that and Jordan's run into them out back? No, well, a lot of people in town didn't even know my first name as Linda. They only knew me as Rusty. Yeah, I've, I've run into that. And they assumed that I was a party girl because they thought I dressed different, which I thought was normal, and that I did drugs and I don't even like marijuana. You know what I mean? I don't even like drugs. Huh. And I'm not even a party girl. I'm a real old-fashioned girl, but I like to wear leopard tights and tease my hair and stuff like that when I left my first marriage, you know? Linda swore hand on heart that she didn't do drugs and didn't like them. This goes entirely against what many people I've spoken to have said about Linda and is a perfect example of how people can judge a book by its cover. I haven't met Linda, but I've seen a photo, and she does have a wild, cool style with big hair and funky clothes. In small-town New Zealand, if you look different, you're going to stand out from the crowd. And if you largely keep to yourself, as it seems Linda did, then in lieu of facts, people will just fill that narrative with speculation. I asked her about Richard and what she thought about the police's focus on him. Yeah, well, they thought, well, the ex-husband, maybe I was having an affair with the pizza man and Dick had gone there and whatever. But, nah, he's he's not a violent man. He's not, he's, he would never do anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I was, I've been with him since I was 34 and I broke up with him when I was 57. So we were together for... 23 years and still remained friends and yes and then he got really crook and he's got two sons in Auckland that never come and saw him but they just bled him for money and so my son and I Stephen moved in there and did home care or um, what do you call it Um, looking after him and I went and helped and took him to the hospitals and you know we, and we looked after him until he died. Oh, shit. I'm sorry, Linda. Please, I know the whole thing. Yes, yeah, so we looked after him for about nine months. And then he, he died in um, April 1920, I mean 2020. Because the cops even come out there to interview Dick and I before he passed. To have a last talk to us if we've heard anything. Did you feel at that point that they were sort of thinking he might sort of confess something at the end? I think so. Well, that's probably what they were. But Richard said to them, hey, the only way you're going to get someone is put a good reward out because people are desperate for money these days. I did think that he would do anything like that. No way. He was, yeah, gentle. He was gentle. He loved animals. Yeah. We loved our little dogs, so we our babies. And I've got my last one now. I just had one put down two weeks ago. Oh, no. Yeah. What, what kind of dogs have you got? Oh, little gypsies. Oh, gypsy. What kind of dog's that? Um, well, I had a Pomeranian too, oh, but okay. they're just little fluffy things. Yeah. Oh. But he used to have them on the weekends because he worked through the week and I'd have them through the week. And he'd pay, help pay the vet bills and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and when he died, um, five, no, 13, 
18. Five days later, I had to put my 16-year-old dog down, and it was in COVID. Yeah. And I was sitting in the car crying, and I looked in the pre-vision mirror, and I saw, I saw Richard walk past like he was coming around to give me a cuddle. But he died. Oh, God. Yeah, and then... Uh, Dick's sons got really nasty and said we got five days to get my stuff out of there because I had stuff stored in there too until I sold my shops and moved. And yeah, so we had a lot of drama there and they threw a lot of stuff out and said they were going to get the police on us if anything goes missing. And I thought, Dick said, whatever's in the house is yours, love. He said, I know you bought it all. My sons will get the house because you've got the shops. But, yeah, so we had lots of drama with them. Yeah, and I just, yeah, I said, I don't want anything because he wanted to change the will and to give my son and I some money because we'd been looking after him. I said, I don't want your money. I just want you to live. Yeah, as soon as, as soon as his sons heard about Dick wanting to get in touch with a lawyer, one of them started coming down with his wife and they just sat there all day. They never helped with hanging the washing out or check on Richard with his drinks that I had to mix and stuff. They just sat there in case the phone rang. That's all they were worrying about. It's horrible to think. Yeah, it is horrible. Because I said, I don't want it. I just want you to live. Because I didn't realise. I thought he might make it. When we were at Tim's hospital, Michael, his son, wanted to leave him in there. And I said, I'm not leaving him, him, him in there over COVID. It's better to be home in his, in his house. Yeah, fair enough. And the, and the doctors said then, you know, why are you going home? You're going home to die. And I, I just burst into tears. Richard Kemp died at his home as a result of cancer in April 2020. At this point in the conversation, my heart really went out to Linda, and to be honest, I felt terrible. I've blindsided her out of the blue and brought up some horrible memories. I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a few tears in my eyes. I know I should remain impartial, but shit, we're all human at the end of the day. It's been a tough decision deciding whether to share this, but I feel it's been so important to tell her side of the story because I believe it sheds so much light on the characters of both Richard and Linda. These are not cold-blooded murderers. They're people, like you and I. The fact that the police questioned Richard in his final days, no doubt hoping they might elicit a deathbed confession, shows that they still believed, as of just over a year ago, that Richard and Linda might have been involved in Jordan's murder. There's two ways we can look at this. Either... The police have some additional piece of information that I don't have, or this was just a Hail Mary. One thing the police have that I don't at this stage is the phone records from that morning. If what Linda recalls is accurate, then in my opinion, I cannot see how Richard could have been involved in Jordan's murder. If Linda made the phone call to Richard at 6am and the ambulance arrived at 6.15, there's just no possible way he could have been the shooter. The drive from the area Richard lived, Karangahaki Gorge, to Paidoa, is approximately 15 minutes, so it just doesn't fit. However, if there was a second call, earlier to Richard, this could raise suspicion. I'm going to keep working to try and find these phone records, but at this stage, I'm going to stick with Linda's recollection of the morning. There were still two questions I wanted to run past Linda before I ended the call. The first was a story that I'd heard Richard had given Linda a gun, and this was kept at her store. Oh, nah, we've been through all that. Um, I've got those little cat guns from the 1950s, like when I was a kid, we used to put the little roll of pink cats in them. I remember those, yep. Yes, and I've got a pair here that I bought from Cambridge Auction, and I I was selling Indians and statues and... They had guns that went on little wooden platforms that look like a look like a rifle, but they're not. They're just um, ornamental. I mean, they don't do anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just look the part. Yeah. And and when the cops come around and ask me about that, gee, I had to look where I put put my bloody collectible guns. So I found them all, and we had to put a sheet on the couch, and they took photographs of them, and that's all they were. 
And the second thing I wanted to clarify was whether Linda had ever had a romantic relationship with Jordan. This is an important question because I believe the police may have focused on this being a potential motive, that somehow Richard became aware of this affair and then confronted Jordan that morning. It was when Linda was answering this that she went on to say something which piqued my interest. This is what she said. And, and just just to cover that base off, like, so you never had any romantic relationship with Jordan, that's... Never had any... Romantic relationship with Jordan. Oh, no, because I actually said to him, uh, uh, do you like women or do you like men? <laughs> and he said, oh, woman. He said, I, I see the ladies of the night or something <laughs> thing in Auckland. <laughs> because he had a, a French guy there, quite a nice-looking blonde guy. Yeah. Which, which disappeared. I'd never seen him. He just disappeared. Oh, yeah. um, him and Jordan used to have arguments out the back, and that's when I thought, you know, and they get on the drink. Do you remember and I his, used to, his name? Eh? Do you no, I can't remember because I never really had any, much to do with people. I just sort of stuck to myself. Um, was that the French guy? Was he there sort of around about? Was he working for Jordan around that time? Uh, yeah, just before all that happened. Huh. And yeah. Then, and then you never saw him again, blonde guy. Yeah. So I don't know whether he went back overseas or what happened or... A blonde French guy who disappeared after Jordan's death? I've never heard anyone mention any French person that worked for Jordan. I send out a message to a source to try and clarify this. While I wait for a reply, I process my conversation with Linda. Ultimately, I've come out of this conversation feeling confident that Linda or Richard have no involvement, but there still are a couple grey areas. It's obvious I need to speak to Barry. If Barry exited through the back entrance that morning, he would have had to walk within inches of Jordan's body. To me, and probably to you listening... The idea that someone would discover a body and then not immediately phone the police is both shocking and difficult to understand. Then on top of that, to leave the scene for your friend to deal with, while at that time having no knowledge of whether there could be a murderer loose, is either a cowardly act or deeply suspicious. While it might be difficult for us to understand, it is plausible that some people may wish to avoid getting involved with the police for other reasons so leaving the scene could have reasons innocent in relation to this case. There really is only one way to clear this up. I need to speak to Barry. I managed to find his number and give him a call. Before I play this conversation, I will add that I've called him cold. I wanted to speak to him without the opportunity to prepare. I'd also like to add that in this call, I refer to myself as a journalist. Although what I'm doing is journalism, personally, I don't consider myself a journalist. I'm not trained or accredited in any way, and to be honest, I'm a bit embarrassed to say it, but sometimes it just helps provide clarity. Straight away, his demeanour threw me. Hello. Oh, hi, is this Barry? Yeah, who am I talking to? Uh, my name's Ryan Wolf. Um, are you free at the moment? What's it about? Um, I'm actually um, making an investigative pod- investigative podcast about the murder of Jordan Badori, and um, your name came up as the guy that originally found him. And I was just wanting to ask you a couple of questions about that morning, if it was okay. No, that's a long time ago. Yeah, so you, you don't. How long ago that was? Are you are you a detective or anything? Uh, I'm just uh, a journalist. No, fuck off. He just straight up just told me to fuck off. I'm gonna call him back. Um, I don't know if this is gonna go well, but. I don't quite understand why he'd get so angry. Let's go again. Guilt is written, produced, and edited by me, Ryan Wolf. 
The title track is Jukebox by Patrick Patricios. If you like this podcast, please make sure to give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and tell two friends. While this podcast is not made for any financial gain and nothing is expected, if you would like to show support with a small donation, you can do this through our ACAR support page. You'll find the link in the description of this episode. For further information about the show, you can find us on Facebook at Brevity Studios or theguiltpodcast.com. I'll also be regularly sharing updates through my Instagram account. You can find me at RyanWolfNZ. I'd like to thank you all for your support thus far. Those who have been sharing the podcast, thank you. You know who you are, and I appreciate it. I wish everyone and their families a fantastic Christmas and holiday season. I'll be taking a short break, but anticipate episode 4 being released at the end of Jan. On the next episode of Guilt. I met a guy through Tinder. Yes, Tinder. (laughs) Um, And... I so we were together for probably I'd say about nine months because I was quite scared about letting these people meet my children and stuff. So one night he'd come around to the house. My kids were still awake. Um, he came round. I had just finished bathing the kids and I said to him, um, "I just have to go and put my kids to bed." And he was like, yep, sweet days. He was sitting on the couch in the lounge room. I took my four kids up to their beds, put them in their beds, said goodnight to them, came back down. He was not in my lounge room. So I don't know where he vanished to because it freaked me out. Um, his phone was turned off. He wasn't returning my text messages. Like his phone was turned on when he was at my house and all of a sudden it was off and he vanished. I woke up obviously the next morning and I freaked out because obviously the news had broke out about the three petrol stations having the armed holdups. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.